Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. Once you have found Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word, if you would stand with me this morning as we read God's Holy Word. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Father, this morning we have worshipped you through our time together. In Sunday school, we have worshipped you through our fellowship, through our singing to you this morning, Father. And now we focus our attention upon your word the greatest foundation that we can ever have in our life and the only foundation that will withstand the storms of life is your word, is your truth. So this morning, Father, as we listen obediently to your word, I ask that you make very little of me and that you make very much of yourself, that we may see you in all of your glory today. Speak to our hearts for your glory and honor. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Just to catch you up, since we have been away from the, the book of Ephesians for most of the month of April as we went through some Easter studies and, and did some of those things, and now we dive back in for a week before we get to Mother's Day coming up. But we have been looking at this walking in light that Paul has, has talked about to us here in the book of Ephesians. He's saying based on all those things that we learned about our theology of who Christ is and what he's done for us, we were in chapter to walk worthy and then as we started in chapter 5 he says we are to walk in light we looked as we went into chapter 4 first at the characteristics or the comparison rather between darkness and light he talked about what light was and what darkness was and gave us a comparison of those two things and then he moved into this section that I just read to you and he started talking about the the uh, characteristics those those things that characterize what it means to walk in light and and there in verse 9 we started looking at those characteristics just a few weeks ago when it said uh, for the fruit or the characteristics of of this walk in light is all goodness, all righteousness, and truth. We talked about goodness. Goodness not being that that we are are this good person, not being that we're good for something. It's not about who we are. The goodness of walking in light is not about what you bring to the table for God, but it's about what God did in you to make you good for Him. It's all about what God has done in your heart to make you good. It's not about coming to the table and saying, you know what, I would come this morning and be saved, but I've got a few things I need to get straight in my life. Let me get better and I'll come to God. It's not about approaching God in your own goodness. For it says there's not a thing that we can do that's not just filthy rags before a holy God. So it's not about us being good. What it is about is about what God does in us to make us good so that we can be a useful tool in his hand. 
You see, to walk in light is to show light to a dark world. How does God choose to do that? By using us as a good tool in his hand. The second thing that he said there was this characteristic of righteousness. This characteristic of righteousness, which is a right standing before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's not righteousness in and of itself that we own, but it's the righteousness that's put on us by Christ who died for our sins, washed away our sins with his blood so that we might be in right standing with the holy God. To approach God in anything other than the covering of the blood that flows from the cross is to approach God and be condemned for your sin. See, the only way that you can approach a holy God is in righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of his only begotten Son, who was given to us to die upon the cross that we might be forgiven of our sins, was placed in a tomb and rose three days later that we might be able to come into the presence of God righteous in what Christ has done. So we saw that goodness and we saw righteousness. This morning, let's look at the truth. I don't need to tell you, we live in tumultuous times. <laughs> we live in what has to be one of the weirdest times of all of humanity. I know they say things go in cycles. They say that there's nothing going on today that wasn't going on a hundred or a thousand years ago. It's just different because of technology. But I've got to tell you, I've never seen people bite into lies greater than this happening today we see a person stand up and say all oh, that's fake news and the entire world turns themselves on top of their head to disprove the person that said it's fake news and when it comes out that it was fake news <laughs> nobody wants to talk about it anymore we get a person that stands up and says i had absolutely nothing to do with that i, d I don't know anything about it yet it comes out that they knew everything about it yet they still want to believe the person knew nothing about it. We get people that stand up before a country and say, you know what, <laughs> marriage was never intended to be a man and a woman. I don't know where y'all got that from. From the very beginning of time, it was any two people who were in love. And the entire world will stand up and argue that that's the truth. Yet who in their right mind would say that marriage was created to be any two people, or two things for that matter, that are in love. Fifty, hundred years ago, what would have happened when you were 19 years old, if you're of any age now, and you went to your mom and dad and said, you know what? As a girl, I think I found another girl I'm in love with. I'm going to get married. If, if you're over the age of 60, is there anybody in this place that would have thought their mom or dad would have said, hey, it's a great idea? Wouldn't have happened. Yet today, people will stand up and say, it's always been that way. What are y'all fussing about? And people will bite into it. Got one better for you. Do you realize that for every second that I talk to you today, there are thousands of unborn babies being killed in this country to the tune of hundreds of thousands a day? All over this world today, there are babies. You hear the soft cry of a baby in the back. How appropriate because we today are being told that that might not even be a baby, but it's definitely not before it comes out of the womb. It doesn't matter that three or four or five days in it has a heartbeat. It doesn't matter a week or two in it has a set of fingerprints different than anybody else's. It doesn't matter that blood is circulating. It, it's not a baby till it's actually able to come out and you look at it. We're told 
that that embryo that turns into a fetus that you can see on a scan, that you can see move, you can see a heartbeat, is not a baby until you can hold it. So therefore, it can be murdered. You see, if there's any time in all of civilization that somebody needs to stand up and say, there's truth, today's the day. Today's the day that someone needs to stand up at whatever penalty may be put upon them to say, you know what? There's a difference between a lie and the truth. The fact that you say a baby is not a baby till it's born is a lie because we know the truth. Where God said he knit us together in our mother's womb piece by piece in the order he wanted before we ever breathed oxygen. We were a human the minute God decided that he would make us by the joining of a man and a woman. We need to stand up and say, it doesn't matter that you think the two of you are in love. There's one foundation for marriage. It's a man and a woman. And that's the only marriage that will ever work because that's the only marriage that's ordained by God. We need to stand up to the politics of the world. When they say, we know what's best for you. We're going to fight for this and that. And it doesn't matter that, that we don't know what's in the bill. We're going to pass it anyway. And just to prove to you how good it is, we're not going to participate. We need to stand up and say, no, there's truth. You're elected to look after us. And the only way that God's ever going to bless this country and you and us is if you do your job according to what God told you to do. And you're to serve the people, not the people serve you. Until we're willing to stand up and say, there is a truth. And if you don't believe me, I'll buy you a copy and let you go home and read it. But it's called the Bible. What are they going to say? Well, there's things in there that are archaic. There's things in there that don't apply today. No. God's Word is living, it is ever-living, and it has the answers to all of our problems. If we were to do exactly what God tells us in the Bible, think about how different this world would be. So whenever He tells us that there is this fruit of the Spirit, as He says, this fruit is a Spirit that should be within each of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For you see, the very instant that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to go to a service and get later. It's not something you have to beg God for. The moment you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, within you comes the Holy Spirit. He comes for a purpose. For sometimes it's conviction. For sometimes it's comfort. For all times it's instruction. But what that Holy Spirit does is enlighten our minds and our hearts to the truth of God. And he says there, there is this spirit. Because the spirit is within us, we should have this goodness. Because the spirit is within us, we should be righteous. And also because the spirit is within us, we should seek and stand for the truth. See, the truth is, in fact, God's holy word. And if you know anything about the Bible, you realize that God's holy word is also a person. If you remember back in John, in John chapter 1, it talks about this person of the word or the person that is the word. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was in the beginning with God? Jesus. So when it talks about the word, it's speaking of Jesus, Jesus being the word. Also in John 14, 6, he 
he gives us a little point into it himself when he talks about this word and relating it to truth. And he says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, this is the Thomas him who said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus looks at him and says this, I am the way. See, suddenly he personalized the voice says, I am the way. And then he says, I am the truth. He takes it one step further. He says, if you understand I am the way, if you believe that I am the truth, then to you I also am the life. You see, Jesus himself pointed out the importance of understanding this truth and understanding who he was. And Jesus said, we are to be truth and light to the world. You see, whenever he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, if we follow the way, we must then be the truth and light to the world. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 13, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor that they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus started making this connection between this truth, him being the truth, the light, the way, the life for us. And then he says, if you believe that I am the way, if you believe that I am the truth, if you believe that I am the life, then guess what you are to be? You're to be the light and the truth to a dying world. You see, for us to sit inside of this building and agree with everything that's said from this pulpit, but to go out those doors and not tell the world, is to not be a light. It's to be a fool with his house built upon sand, just like I told the kids. Because, see, a foundation is only good for one thing. It's to build on. And if you don't build on your foundation, then you're foolish. And what Jesus told us, he said, I came to show you all these things, Now become that. And you see, that's what Paul is telling us in Ephesians. There in Matthew, when Jesus said that we're to be salt, it's because we are the flavor of the world. When he says we're a light, it's because we're to shine the light of the world. And he says we're to do all this to glorify God. That's exactly where Paul is pointing us. So how can we best glorify God in a lost and dark world? I think the answer is very simple. It's to speak the truth and to live the truth. We don't have to come up with anything new. There's not a thing I ever preach from this pulpit that's been invented. It's all been given by God hundreds, thousands of years ago. It's not any new gospel, any new message. See, if we take the gospel and the message, we have those characteristics, the characteristics of goodness, which is our relationship really one with another. We have that characteristic of righteousness, which is our relationship with God. And if we have that characteristic of truth, it speaks to our integrity, our relationship with ourselves. How many of you sometimes, and don't raise your hand, this is a rhetorical question, you would only embarrass yourself. 
But how many of you lay your head on your pillow sometimes at night regretting something that you've done during the day? Because you haven't been that truth. You haven't seen that integrity. And what Paul is telling us is that we should be so desirous of a good relationship to show Christ to others, a righteous relationship with our God, that the slightest bit of untruth within us surfaces in a desire for us for, to repent of that untruth. See, this characteristic of truth deals with our integrity. Webster defines it in a very interesting way. Webster says it's a firm adherence to a moral code, an unimpaired condition, the quality or state of being complete or undivided. He actually gives three definitions there for it. If you want to knock it all into one nutshell, it says, in short, it is being moral, sound, and complete. That's what it means to, to have this integrity in your life, to be moral, to be sound, and to be complete. The Christian today needs to plant both his feet firmly upon the truth of God's Word. Plant his feet firmly upon the truth of God's Word. How do we stand on truth? John 8. John 8 says this to us. I'm going to go quickly. Hopefully you can keep up. It says, John 8, verse 32, it says, And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. What's the first point in standing on the truth? You must know the truth. How do you know the truth? You know the truth by studying the truth, by reading God's Word. I hope that those who started with us on a journey of reading the Bible through this year are continuing on that journey. I hope that it's speaking to your heart. I hope you're starting to see connections within that Word that you've never seen before. But a daily reading of God's Word is one way that you study the truth and, and know the truth. By seeking to know what His Word says specifically to you is how you know the truth. Have you ever read the Bible and said, I sure hope so-and-so is reading this. They need it. Have you ever heard a message preached and said, I hope the person sitting in the pew next to me is listening? You know, all those are wonderful thoughts, I guess. But you know the real purpose of reading the Word and hearing a message? It's so that you're changed. It's not so that your neighbor's changed. See, every time you pick up that Bible and read it, it should point to your heart. It's not what you're trying to hear from, the, hear from the Word to tell the neighbor that you have. It's what's the Word saying to you. Every week, I study the Bible to stand in this pulpit and to preach a sermon. Not for you, for me. The entire week when I study, God speaks to my heart. What you get is what's left in the saucer after it spills out of my cup. You see, the Bible should always be pointed at you. Not you trying to decide how it's best used in your neighbor's life. John says that knowing God's truth brings with it this freedom. Have you ever wanted to be free? Truly free? I mean, we live in a land of the free and the brave. <laughs> Yet every day we're told what we can and can't do against our will in most cases. So are we truly free? But John said... That there is a freedom that comes from knowing this word. He said there in the 32nd verse, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Some of your versions say, set you free. What kind of freedom does it give us? Freedom to not be concerned with the things of the world. Why? Because you know what God has planned for you. You also know what God has planned for this world. It's called the book of Revelation. 
See, another freedom, freedom to live a, a life of purpose because of God's promises to you. Freedom to know that you don't have to have the things of this world. Freedom to not be scared about death because he tells us at the moment that we die, we are going to be in the presence of our Savior. There are just a whole host of freedoms in the Bible that only come through knowing the Bible. See, oftentimes we mull around as if we're just that character, I guess it is. Was it Peanut or one of those? Remember the guy with the cloud? Everywhere he went, there was this cloud. You know, sometimes we walk around as Christians with this cloud. As if, woe is me. The world's so heavy upon my shoulders. I can't hardly get out of bed in the morning. I've got to go to work in the morning at 5 o'clock. Yeah. Jesus died on a cross that you might have heaven forever. Jesus said he took all the stripes of your life upon his own back because he loved you. The Almighty God that created everything and had every right to send all of us to hell has chosen not to. Yeah, so the world's a little tough. Yeah, so you got to get up in the morning and go to work. Yeah, so it's a little difficult to pay your bills. You know what happens in the end if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You walk on streets made of gold. The most precious metal that we have today is going to become pavement for all of eternity. You're going to walk up to a door that's going to be made out of a single pearl you're going to be in a place that the sun never sets you're going to be invited to a table to eat the marriage supper of the lamb with the almighty god tell me what your troubles are again tell me what your cloud is you see if we know the truth if we know how the story ends i don't care what you do to me today Because in the end, I'll be victorious through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says I will be. You see, you have to know the truth. You not only have to know the truth, but you have to believe the truth. You have to believe the truth. In 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, In verse number 13, verse number 13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because you have received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. See, you must not only know the truth, you must believe the truth. It's not enough to intellectually agree with what the Bible says, but your agreement with what it says should come out in belief in your life. There are people all over the world that believe Jesus walked this earth. There are people all over the world that believe that he taught. But they don't believe he was God. They don't believe he crawled upon a cross and died for their sins. And therefore, just knowing that he was a man, just knowing that he walked the earth, just knowing that he taught and was a great prophet, it's not going to send them to heaven. You must read it in the word as truth and believe it as truth because God said it. Believing the word brings the promises of God to bear on your life. It brings salvation. It brings protection. It brings blessing beyond measure. It brings comfort in your times of distress. It brings this peace when it seems like the entire world is falling around you. It brings joy in your heart when the worst of moments are facing at you at your door. See, this this belief in the Bible solves the world's problem for you. 
But there's one more thing. You must not only know the truth, you must not only believe the truth, but you must also do the truth. You see, to just know it and just believe it is not enough. It falls well short of the mark made for us by God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, it says this, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. You see, to intellectually know the truth, to with your heart believe the truth, should lead to your hands, your feet, and your mouth doing the truth. It should lead to you walking just as Jesus walked. See, Jesus reminds us through the pen of John that the evidence that we know Christ is the good works that come from our tree, the good works that come from us. Now hear me, good works will not save you, but the saved will always have good works. It's just like coming to church will not save you. But if you're saved, you'll want to be in church. Do not put the cart ahead of the horse. You cannot work your way into heaven. But if you've been given the grace and mercy of an almighty God, how can you sit on it in church and not show it to a lost and dying world? If you truly know that Christ died for your sins and you believe it is the best thing that has ever happened to you in all the world, how can you keep your mouth closed to a neighbor who's going to hell? How can you walk past that cashier week after week and not show them the love of Jesus? How can you come one hour a week to church, check it off your list, and consider your obligation to God done? You see, if you really know who Jesus is and you believe in your heart that he died for your sins, there's not a thing in this world that will ever shut your mouth about him. Because without Jesus, this world is headed to hell. The only difference in them heading to hell and heading to heaven most times is you. Because God's asked you to be his hands, his feet, and his mouth. And when you say, I don't have time, I have this other commitment, I don't feel comfortable talking to them, I don't know if I have the words to say, what you're really saying is not that you're not capable, it's that you don't care. Because if you knew that there was a person that was inside of a house and there was a fire burning towards that house that was going to consume it and that person was asleep on the couch and was going to burn to death. Is there any door, window, or wall that would keep you from getting that person off of that couch and out of that house if you were humanly capable of doing it? I would dare say no. You would risk life and limb. To save that person. Why is the gospel not that critical to you? That you would risk life, limb, and reputation to help a person miss hell and gain heaven. You see, if we really live in truth and we understand the truth, the gospel becomes so important to us, that's all we think about. 
That's all we focus on, the way we eat, the way we shower in the morning, the way we drive our car, the way we talk to the person at McDonald's, the way we look at our our customers, the way we work with others, all comes out of who we know Christ is. And church, until we get that consumed by Christ, the world's going to stay unchanged. Because God's chosen to use us. He's not chosen to send His Son again to tell the world that He's God. He sent us. And he's given us the truth of who he is to take to the world. How do we walk in light as Jesus walked? I'm going to quickly try to cover the last of these points and we'll probably never get there. Ephesians, back to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 5.10 gives us an example of what it means to walk just as Jesus walked. In 5 verse 10 it says, first we must Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Find out what's acceptable to the Lord. Is it an every man for himself attitude? Is it taking the Bible and interpret it or using pieces of it to get what we want? Is it doing what we believe to be right without looking and seeing what God believes is right? No, the acceptable thing of the Lord is that thing which the Lord did. Never take anything out of the Bible and make it be contrary to what Christ did and say that it's right because the Word is the Bible. Therefore, it should be as He lived, as He did things. How did He live? Unconditionally. The first and foremost thing I think about when I think about Christ is that He was unconditional in all that He did. Whether it was healing a sick person, whether it was showing a a person that uh, He could feed them, whether it was uh, confronting the sin of the church and the religious, whether it was crawling upon a cross and giving his life. It was all done unconditionally. He gave till it hurt. I mean, let's face it. He gave till he died. Who of us are willing to give till we die for the gospel? See, whenever we read the scripture that says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When have we looked at a person and said, I really hope you have everlasting life, and I'm willing to tell you and tell you and tell you again till I breathe my last, or you accept him as your Lord and Savior? When have we so believed in the truth that we walked as Christ did with the truth? You see, what is acceptable to the Lord, I think, is to love unconditionally, Regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of them being male or female, regardless of what religion they happen to be a part of now, regardless of their economic status, regardless of any of those things, we are to love them unconditionally. And we're to live a life that is set apart. In Ephesians 5.11 it says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know what's happened to the church in America today? It's hard to tell the difference between the church and the world. It really is. It's hard to walk into a church or meet a person that attends church every week religiously and tell the difference between them and the world. Now, when he says have no fellowship, he's not saying to isolate yourself from the world. Don't read your escape clause into sharing the gospel with your neighbor that you don't like. (laughs) Don't use that as a back door out because that is not what he's saying. How will the world ever hear about Jesus if we don't go into the world? 
And to say that we're not to go into the world is to take the last chapter of the Gospels and rip them out and throw them in a trash can because Christ said quite plainly, go to the other most parts of the world. So we can't say that he's saying to stay out of the world. That can't be what he's saying. He's saying to have the fruit of light, not the fruit of darkness like the world. See, what is the fruit of, of darkness in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, matter of fact, chapter 6, he gives us very quickly those fruits of darkness. In the 14th verse, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what, is, what communion has uh, light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty God. Paul's making this case for being unequally yoked. We love to use this verse when we're talking about our daughter dating an unchristian person. We love to reach into the Bible and pull this one out. And we got two friends, one that's a Christian and one that's not, and say, see, the Bible says to be, uh, that you shouldn't be unequally yoked. Well, guess what? He's looking into the eyes of the church when he said this. He says, don't be unequally yoked. He's not talking about a person that's waiting in line at the altar to get married. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. You see... Paul is applying an unequaled yokeness to all areas of our life. See, we like to pick the areas that it fits very comfortably. But there are certain places we don't want to go there. It's like the ball game when we hoop and holler and never show the love of God in it at all. It's like the places you find yourself on Saturday night, the movies you go and watch, the way you act when you're around your friends that aren't saved. See, when he says... Don't be unequally yoked. He's looking in your eyes and mine. And he's saying, do not be unequally yoked. Paul's saying not to avoid the sinners. He's saying avoid the sin. There's a world of difference. You're to be the light to the world. You are not to act like the world. Don't think that you can continue to live a day in and day out life with the lost being your closest of friends and act like them and that you'll be acceptable to God. Don't think that God doesn't see. Many a well-intentioned believer has said, even to me, he said, yeah, but I act so holy around them that I'll lead them to Christ. Let's just be honest with ourselves for a minute. How many of you have ever lived so holy Saturday night after Saturday night amongst your unlost friends that they all decided to get in a car and join you for church on Sunday morning? See, that's a lie of the devil. He's telling you that you, just, you can put enough goodness on it to make yourself feel good. Go ahead. See, the truth of the matter is if they're doing something that is against God and his sin, if you're there with them, you're not convicting them of that sin. You're not there convicting them, making them feel like it's bad to do it. What you're doing is accepting them. There's a world of difference in conviction falling upon a person in acceptance. You ever go somewhere that if I were to call you and say, I'd love to ride with you as your pastor and hang out, the cold chills would run through your blood? 
If I popped in at your house because you were having some folks over on a Saturday night for dinner, would you suddenly get nervous because the pastor showed up? You see, it's not that I'm anything special. Understand that God's already there. And the way your friends, neighbors, and acquaintances see you act is who they know God is. And if you're not speaking truth into their life, then they assume that that which they are doing is okay. And what you're doing is filling out their bus ticket for a place called hell. Every time you let the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ go past. So he tells us that we shouldn't be unequally yoked. Very quickly in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this to us about truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Make sure that if you love to write in your Bible, you underline that. Because there's a reason most people get this passage wrong. It's because they don't read that. It says, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since they would not uh, would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, hey, I'm not telling you to escape from the world. He goes on to say, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Look next to you. Next to you sits your brother or sister he's talking to you about. He says, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater or reveler or drunker or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. See, he says that we are to have this fruit of light, not fruit of darkness. Guess what? Sometimes within the four walls of this place, the fruit of darkness grows on trees. And what's he saying? He's not saying to walk away and let that brother head wherever he wants to. No, he needs the gospel. But what he's saying is most particularly hold your brother and sister accountable. That we are to be the ones who sharpen each other. We're the be the ones who know the truth, stand on the truth, even amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing wrong, and that we speak that truth into their life in love. Paul warns us to not be so-called believer, yet participate in the things of unbelievers, the sexually immoral, the covetous extortioners. He gave us the list. Paul says the worst thing that we could do is to say we believe in Christ, yet live like the world. The second worst thing we could do is to overlook a brother or sister who says they believe, yet continues to look like the world. See, all too often we walk past that brother or sister that needs a word of truth and we don't speak it because we feel like it's none of our business. Let me tell you, it is your business. We're all a part of the family. If you had a blood relative, brother or sister, that was doing something as an embarrassment to your mom and dad's name, would you let it go without saying something? I dare say not. And we should not either. He tells us there very quickly in Ephesians 5, verse 11, he says that the second thing we are to do is to expose them. He says, 
Have no fellowship with the unfruitful in verse 11 works of darkness, but rather expose them. By walking in light, we expose the darkness in our own lives. And we expose the darkness in the lives of those around us. He says in in verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. He says, We shouldn't sit around and talk about those things that are done in secret. That shouldn't be our conversation. Our conversation should be holiness and righteousness. If we sat around the table at lunch and talked about God like we talk about a football game, we'd all be stronger in Christ. If when we picked up the phone to find out how each other's day went, we asked, hey, did you read that scripture this morning that we're supposed to be reading? Did it touch your heart? But no, we'll call up and say, man, it sure is raining awful hard outside, isn't it? We can't change that, but we can change each other by talking about the word. If we took the speech that comes out of our mouth to each other and made it righteous and holy, it would change our lives and the world around us. He's saying that, Those things are in secret. We don't need to sit around and nitpick and do those things. We don't need to be doing the things in secret. We definitely don't need to be sitting around talking about them. He says in verse 13, But all things are exposed or made manifest by light. For whatever makes manifest is light. He says the thing that will expose sin in your heart, my heart, and the hearts of others around us is the light of the truth of the gospel. Walking in light exposes darkness in our lives, exposes darkness in others' lives. The light of the gospel drives out the darkness of sin. The light of the gospel convicts those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the light of the gospel leads them to the foot of the cross. See, walking in light is so important. It's so important that he goes on to tell us in verse 14 in closing, he says this, Therefore he says, hopefully in your Bible the he is capitalized, It lets you know that God is about to speak. And here's what God says. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. What happens when we walk in light in a lost and dying world? When we speak the truth? When we don't yoke ourselves together with those that are of the world, but yoke ourselves together equally under the truth of God's word? When our conversation becomes about those things of righteousness and God and what God's doing in our life? When we don't just invite people to church, we sit them down at a table and tell them that Jesus can change their life. And when their life gets changed, we say, you got to come to church and tell everybody about it. When we use our mouths, our hands, and our feet to show the glory of God to a lost and dying world, what happens? He says, those who are asleep, awake. Those who are dead, they arise. And Christ becomes their light. You see, when you see Christ for who he is, you understand the importance of not sleeping, but sharing the gospel. You understand the importance of Christ over the things of the world. You understand that there's not a thing that you've got here, not even a memory of this place that you're going to take with you across the Jordan, as we say. Because all things there are going to be all about Jesus Christ. Do you want to wait till you get to heaven for all of your life to be about Jesus Christ? You see, I ask you this morning, has the darkness of sin been exposed in your life Because of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's where it starts. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not this morning, you can come and ask for forgiveness. Trusting in the fact that he will forgive you if you confess your sins. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you confess that with your mouth. You too will be saved. 
Second question I have is, has the light in your life exposed others to the sin in their life? If it hasn't, maybe this morning you need to come and fall on your face and ask God for forgiveness for not doing that which He has led you to do. What will change this lost and dying world? What will change the climate, the atmosphere of all that we see in this world around us? There's one thing. It's called truth. And there's only one truth. That's the truth between the covers of your Bible. But church, your lost and dying neighbor is not going to go buy one of these and read it. Even if he tried, if he doesn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he won't understand it. You understand it because you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Will you stop being selfish? Will you stop thinking about you? Will you think about the bruised, beaten, and battered body of your Savior that hung upon a cross for your sins, that died and was buried and rose three days later that you might have life? Will you see every person as a soul that needs to know the story of your Savior? And will you tell him the story? The story of what he's done for your life? Will you look them in the eye and say, I love you enough that I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to know my Jesus. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you tell the next guy that comes along about me. But I'm going to tell you about my Jesus. Because if I don't tell you about Jesus, you may never hear. And there's going to come a day that you're either going to heaven or hell. And I'm not going to let you go to hell unless you go pulling your feet out of the grasp of my hand as I share the gospel with you. Because I love you that much. Will you do that, church? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.